Welcome to Bedknobs and Broomflicks, the podcast that talks about witches, man-witches, warlocks, sorcerers, and other magic practitioners in movies and television. My name is Linda Castro. And I'm Jane. And today we will be discussing our namesake, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, starring Angela Lansbury. Yay! Yay! Movies! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This movie was made in, uh, well, released in 1971. Uh, The director is Robert Stevenson. Uh, The writers were uh, Mary Norton, who wrote the novels, and uh, Bill Walsh and and Don DeGrady did the screenplay, and Ralph Wright and Ted Berman did uh, the, the, the story. Uh, the budget was estimated to be $20 million, but unfortunately, it looks like it was estimated to gross $17.6 million. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> eh, we had estimates. We didn't exactly follow them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I certainly hope that's not the case, but it's whatever is the case, it certainly didn't do as well as, uh, as uh, Mary Poppins. Yeah, and there's some relation I know between this movie and Mary Poppins, especially when it came to the songs that were written. So we can talk yeah. about that later. But it was when the they were definitely trying to um, meld these two in a way. Oh yeah. In fact, um, I don't know if I should go into that right now, or if you want to hit the history. I can hit a little bit of history. I want to because this movie is supposed to have a historical aspect to it, um, taking place in August of 1940, so um, in Britain. And during that time, just to give everybody an idea um, as to por- importance of this story, is that at that time, British ch- children were being sent to um, the country or to other countries like the United States and Australia to escape the bombing, which had started happening in July of 1940. And around this time as well, the U.S. had not um, entered the World War as uh, this, that would have, that will take place on December 7th, 1941. And um, at that time also Nazi, uh, Nazi Germany had not invaded Russia. So there's a lot of little things that I want to bring up there because it definitely will dictate some of my feelings towards this movie as time goes on. <laughs> as I was watching this, I had a lot of thoughts. <laughs> well, and some kids were sent to Narnia. Oh, yes. Well, they weren't sent to Narnia. One of them was tricked. and <laughs> That's another movie to discuss. <laughs> Wait, that wasn't this one? <laughs> no, these kids were just sent underwater and uh, somehow didn't drown. <laughs> because... Science. Who knows? Magic. Because <laughs> uh, they were with a crappy apprentice witch. Apparently. And a so. shuckster. <laughs> and a shuckster. I think in the trailer they call him the lovable con man. <laughs> I'll admit, uh, the first time he was introduced, all I heard was that song from Sweeney Todd where um, the young yes. boy is singing about the miracle elixir, and I'm just waiting for, <laughs> I'm just waiting for that to just pop up out of nowhere. I'm just like, yep, try his best. <laughs> like, oh no, <laughs> like, yep, you can spot a liar right about there. <laughs> that would be the spot. 
Can I just say something about the opening of this movie? As I mean, we're going to get into the discussion of this movie, right? Let's we just dive right into this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. One thing that I noticed, and I was doing some timestamps as I was writing this, is the credits were long. I'm imagining my kid. Oh, my God, yes. I'm imagining my kid, like my five-year-old son, trying to sit through this movie. And I'm like, he would get bored. <laughs> and like, a mingle, like, when's the movie going to start? It's like, honey, just shh. <laughs> She just sit down. Like it's that's the first thing I wrote in my notes is longest opening credits ever. <laughs> like, ever. It reminded me of like Oklahoma. It's like, okay, at some point this doesn't work anymore. <laughs> like, like we are gonna watch a movie, right? <laughs> but oh, it's not yeah. uncommon. I think uh they had turned on with uh the kids club I turned on Cinderella that my kid goes to and that also had a mm. a very long opening credit scene but definitely not as long as this I mean they almost like replayed the entire first five years of the war I was yes. like I'm yeah. like wow it's a cliff notes version of the war but it's really long <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was pretty insane <sighs> um uh, would it be okay if I go over some Angela History? Oh, yeah. No, go ahead. Let's talk that, and then we'll go more move further into the movie. Uh, Dane Lansbury. Uh, born Angela Brigid Lansbury on October 16th, 1925. She just had her uh, 94th birthday. Um, she was born in Regent's Park, London, England. Uh, she studied acting with her mother, who is an actress herself. Uh, she, her mother, and her brothers, uh, who were twins, Bruce and Edgar, were on the last boat to evacuate families to the States during the Blitz, actually. And uh, they ended up settling in New York, where she earned a scholarship to attend the Lucy Fagan School of Study, um, or excuse me, to study uh, acting further. Her mother eventually urged her to move to L.A., where she worked in a department store before landing her first film role in Gaslight, for which she was nominated for an Academy Award in 1944. So, good job. Unfortunately, she didn't win that award. But the next year, she actually ended up winning a Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actress for her performance as Lady Sybil Vane in The Picture of Dorian Gray. Awesome movie. Uh, check it out. And uh, in 2000, she ended up uh, earning the John F. Kennedy Center Awards, or, excuse me, honors, uh, then altogether, she had three Oscar nominations with no wins. Um, but she, <laughs> yeah, I know. Who are those winners? But she did, um... <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and she did actually. They they made up for it in in 2014. She was awarded an honorary Academy Award for you know being awesome mm -hmm. for being Angela Lansbury. Um, she had seven Tony Award nominations with five wins for Mame, Dear World, Gypsy, Sweeney Todd, and Blythe Spirit. That is probably one of my favorite performances of hers in Sweeney Todd. Um, they did a theater, theatrical yes. um, DVD of that, and I watch it pretty much once a year because it's amazing. I love that movie. Aww. I love that movie so much. <laughs> How did you feel about the uh, uh, Tim Burton version oh uh, <laughs> well <good>. it's <laughs> uh, nothing against the actors but the the, sh the show and i've seen it performed also at a college so I've, I've had a little bit of experience mm -hmm. with this is that they took out all the dark humor they didn't leave a lot of the dark oh. humor that exists in the theatrical play and they just kind of turned to a weird sort of drama sort of teenage drama with 
it's like she, the the, yeah. so, the song that's the funniest. It's like they didn't hit the right notes to explain like why is it funny these people are being cooked and why are their occupations hilarious in relation to what they'll taste like. It's it's supposed to be a dark comedy and it just missed the mark entirely. So that's that's my personal opinion. <laughs> we can edit that out later. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Jane has an opinion uh, she... on new segment. <laughs> Jane's corner. <laughs> um, she also had 15 Golden Globe nominations, uh, for which she had six wins. And oh, this is the, the most heartbreaking part. Uh, she had 19 Emmy nominations, uh, mostly for um, her her role as Jessica Fletcher in Murder, the She Wrote. The best serial Amazing. killer on the face of the earth, Jessica Fletcher. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, they never caught on. Um, <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, with those 19 Emmy nominations, she never had one single win. In fact, uh, she basically holds the record for the most Emmy nominations without a win. And that is terrible, and it should be rectified. I was going to say, um, did she lose to Marissa Tomei as well? <laughs> <laughs> as you do. Uh, in uh, 1949, she married Peter Shaw, who was... Um, well, actually, I I should start off by saying when she was 19, she married Richard Cromwell, but uh, he left several months later because uh, it was revealed later that he was gay. So I think I have a theory as to why their relationship did not work. Um, <laughs> just a crazy idea. I mean, that's, that's Linda's opinion. <laughs> it probably is the same as Jane's opinion. <laughs> um, in 1949, she married the um, love of her life, Peter Shaw, who was a British actor. They were together for over 50 years and had two children together, Anthony and Deirdre. Sadly, he passed in 2003. She spiraled into a really, really deep depression. She actually credits her her uh, theater work and uh, Emma Thompson for casting her as Aunt Adelaide in Nanny McPhee for getting her through it and out of her depression. I, I can only imagine. It, I mean, it must have been awful. On to better things, <laughs> brighter things. Uh, she was awarded the CBE, Commander of the Order of the British Empire, in the 1994's uh, Queen's Birthday Honors list for her services to drama. She was uh, elevated in 2014 to DBE, Dame Commander of Order of the British Empire, in the Queen's New Year's Honors list for services to drama again, and for her charitable and philanthropic services. So that's right. She is now Dame. She was invested by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II in a ceremony at Windsor Castle on April 15th, 2014. Finally, her grandfather, George, founded the country's Labour Union Party and her father was a noted politician. So Dame Angela Lansbury, everybody. She's a treasure. She is definitely a treasure and yeah, I remember um, when you, you mentioned her birthday and it had just reminded me that, yeah, I saw that it was her birthday. But when she's trending on Twitter, which is how I first you know, was notified of it, my first thought was, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, no. It's like every time I see like, an a actor or actress, I'm like, I'm like, please let it be good. Please, please let it be good. But I'm like, oh, no, please. No, no, no. <laughs> 
Yeah, they really need to have like a tag on the on the trending things where it shows like yeah. not dead. <laughs> <laughs> or in some cases, wish Just... they were dead. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately not yeah. dead. Um... <laughs> Oh boy, <laughs> that's a list later. Yeah, right. <laughs> a bad, bad list that will that's... never be released. <laughs> Join us next week for Jane's kill list. <laughs> I'm gonna get a knock on my door, <laughs> and it's gonna be your fault. <laughs> I'm gonna have to explain this to my husband and my child. It's like, it's not what it looks like. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, I have a little bit of information about the movie, too, on the history of it. It's funny enough, this episode should be out on Halloween. Lansbury actually signed the contract for this movie on Halloween of 1969, so it's officially been 50 years. Yeah. Yay! I'm going to pretend that we planned that. <laughs> like, whoa, crap, I got to I gotta edit this part out. Um, <laughs> so Disney, actually, as you, as you were talking about, like, they were... The movies, uh, Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks, were so similar. And uh, that's because Disney actually originally bought the... While they were buying the, the, the rights for this, it was actually based on two separate novels written by Mary Norton. The Magic Bedknob and bon- Bonfires and Broomsticks. And uh, they actually had this in their pocket while they were trying to court the author of Mary Poppins, P.L. Travers, because she had been holding out for such a long time before actually consenting to give the rights to Disney. Bedknobs and Broomsticks was actually their plan B. Walt, as like as you touched on earlier, uh, Walt Disney told the Sherman brothers, the ones who, who did the music, that their music could be used in Bedknobs and Broomsticks if they didn't get the rights to Mary Poppins, that they would just stick it in, in this movie. So when they finally won the rights, the stories were so much alike that they decided to wait uh, a couple years, um, seven years actually, to make Bedknobs and Broomsticks. So they'd been sitting on this for a while and... They really didn't want Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks to compete in the box office. I don't know if it actually worked out. Uh, it doesn't sound like it. But uh, yeah, they, they were very similar. And actually, Disney originally approached Julie Andrews to play the character of uh, of Miss Price. However, she already played the, the title role in Mary Poppins and she didn't want to be typecast as like the witchy nanny sort eventually she changed her mind because she felt that she owed her career to disney but lansbury had already signed on so neener 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 (laughs) (laughs) nothing against julie andrews wow that sounded spiteful out the gate i'm already starting a beef with julie andrews i have some friends who would have a really huge disagreement with you (laughs) come for me julie andrews Oh, this is a cage match I no, want to I see. No, I love Julie <laughs> Please make this happen. You know she would. Keep I know my that's ass. why I want to see this. <laughs> like, you know, it's a fact, and it would be an honor to have my ass kicked by Julie. Andrews. See, that's kind of what I assumed is that you would just like curl up into a ball and say, "I'm ready to accept my punishment." <laughs> it wouldn't be like you wouldn't even put up a fight. You'd be like, "No, I, I know. I spoke out of turn. I'm sorry, Miss Andrews." <laughs> 
we would get so many downloads and so many so such a big audience for all the wrong reason <laughs> um the song uh the beautiful briny sea was originally written by the sherman brothers uh richard and robert that is uh for mary poppins it was supposed to be used while they sailed uh in admiral boom's ship house also, due to the technical elements of this movie, I mean, it really was a pioneer in, in special effects. Uh, due to their sodium screen vapor uh, use to integrate, once again, like in Mary Poppins, to integrate the cartoon scenes with live action and to, um, you know, make things uh, disappear and reappear. It was it was all pretty, pretty freaking amazing for the time. But uh, unfortunately, due to these uh, technical elements of the movie, all scenes needed to be filmed strictly according to what was storyboarded ahead of time. And that unfortunately included the actor's expressions. Lansbury got really frustrated with it and called it, quote unquote, uh, acting by the numbers. But uh, I still feel like she did a freaking amazing job because, I mean... She did. I mean, that, that's a lot of restrictions. <laughs> I mean, you can hear from other actors who don't yeah. have as much and they have a lot of freedom. But I can imagine restricting somebody who's, you know, performing an art that would that would probably agitate mm-hmm. anybody who's thinking like, I know how to act. Why are you forcing me to do something that I know how to do? Yeah, exactly. And it, it's like you don't get that freedom to explore your character and find the moment. But you're, you know, you're being used basically like a mm-hmm. puppet. Like, you know, you need to be standing like this. You need to, to look like this. And, you know, it, it's just I could understand where that would get really, really frustrating. But it ends up looking pretty, pretty good. Yeah, and you great. can look at it from the other side of, no, we really need you to do it this way or else this entire production won't make any sense or it won't look right. Or, yeah. you know, all the different um, issues they would face from the technical side of it. If you don't do it this way, you're going to screw up the whole movie and these kids' careers. So, yeah, no oh, yeah. pressure. Their careers. <laughs> we'll talk later about their careers. <laughs> their illustrious careers in film. Oh, so sad. I really shouldn't be making fun of them. I should... <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, we're also starting beefs with the kids from uh, Bed Nubs on Broomsticks. Cool. Uh, if we can find them. <laughs> yeah. The question is, can they find us? <laughs> but uh, Disney wanted to premiere uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks at the New York City Hall Christmas show. Unfortunately, this Christmas show also has a stage performance, and uh, it's a really lengthy one, which meant that the movie, to be featured in the show, the movie had to be under two hours long. It originally was about two hours and 20 something minutes long and so they had to cut out like about half an hour of the movie and they ended up getting it down to about 117 minutes but uh to make this happen they unfortunately cut out a bunch of songs which most unfortunately mostly were uh lansbury's songs which was really pretty awful because she was uh, she was really thinking that this was going to be a vehicle for her to get back into music, uh, musicals. I think she ends up with what, like one solo song. Yeah. One solo. Yeah. She contributes, uh, she's obviously doing either duets or 
is part of the whole cast of singers. So it's, yeah, she doesn't have a lot. I you, right. I, I didn't notice it till you pointed it out. I was like, yeah, no, there's really not that much um, her solo singing. Yeah, and she was originally supposed to have a, a song called A Step in the Right Direction when she's first trying out the broomstick and getting to know how to fly it. They, she even like has a line later of like, oh, that's a step in the right direction, which references the song, but... It, it's not there anymore. Well, I mean, you, um, we even, and, I mean, talked about this earlier, but um, off mic, obviously, where there was even like a song that um, the kids were supposed to sing that actually explained a lot more of their yes. background because I was confused. And we could talk more yeah. about this <laughs> midway through the movie. I was like, wait. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, um, if we don't have any more facts, we can get right into the movie uh kind of piece by piece as we go through it i was thinking especially parts that we mm-hmm. um either enjoyed or uh, moments that we thought were either charming or funny or in some cases mm-hmm. didn't age well for today's era well and this kind of fits into it because the the most heartbreaking part of like like what like what you were saying they they took out the the song out um the the most heartbreaking like edit that they made was when they took out this song called nobody's problems and it was uh first sang by the children and then and you will probably go into this later too but um it was sang by the children kind of to convince themselves that they didn't need adults and that they're better off without them and uh they had nobody to tell them what clothes to wear and to comb their hair. And it's it's really like a sad, sad song. And I believe the, the line for the chorus is um, where uh, or nobody's problems are we. And uh, then it's sang later by um, sung later. Ugh, whatever. Grammar. Ugh. Um, <laughs> it's sung later by, uh, by Miss Price when, uh, Professor Brown leaves and she's trying to convince herself that she doesn't need him. She doesn't need a man in her life. And she's saying, uh, nobody's problems for me. Like she doesn't need to have somebody else to take care of and to, to look out for. And <sighs> when they were talking about, uh, having to edit these, uh, songs out, uh, one of the Sherman brothers said in 2009 that that was the heartbeat of the picture and they took it out. I still feel very pained about that. It seems kind of weird because um, in the case of the children, when they take that out, that, I mean, again, that, it confused me throughout most of the movie on um, the parental status of these children up until um, the youngest one asked, for them to be their parents, their new parents. At first I was like, because like yes. in my mind, I was like, oh, these are the kids who were sent away to get away from the bombing. Their parents are either in the military or their mom's working out of, you know, they need to be safe while their mm-hmm. parents were still in London working and having to avoid the blitz. And then they basically say, will you be my new daddy? And I'm like, are, are, wait, don't you have, are your parents, oh my God. It's all like took a dark turn in my head. Where I'm just like, yeah, these kids will be fine. They can go back to their parents after the war's over. It's like, oh no, these, why are these kids not traumatized? <laughs> they got over it pretty I know, quickly. I mean, like they're sitting there complaining about the food she's making, where they're sleeping. Yeah, right? like, like, wow. Like, if my kid acted like this, if like I or my husband died, I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like where did we f up? <laughs> <It's> like, 
it's possible that they killed their parents. I'm just saying. Because <laughs> they seem pretty cool with it. But what's really funny is you mentioned that um, that was also supposed to be an Angela Lansbury song later on. And all I'm thinking is, like, mm-hmm. well, to be fair, she doesn't need a man. And, you know, it could have been an anthem. <laughs> you know, <so laughs> two very different meanings, potentially. Right. <laughs> um, my, my final little tidbit of, like, behind-the-scenes stuff about the movie is that uh, Dallas Dal McKinnon uh, voiced the bear on the island of Mabumbu. He's the one who, um, like, literally fished them out of the sea. Uh-huh. Uh, he was the also the voice of Gumby in the animated show. And uh, it, he was also uh, in the animated show of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Uh, he played the voice of Salem and of Archie, and that was in 1969 to 1970. And, uh, like, I, I hate to admit it, but I didn't even know that existed. I didn't know that was a thing. I, I knew of the show, like, in the, was it, in the 90s? 90s? Yeah, that's what I thought you were referring to at first was the Melissa Joan Hart series. And I was yeah, like, yeah. He really? He did? I thought that was somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's this dude. Oh, okay, that's, oh, that's a black cat, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I was really surprised. But uh, then he ended up uh, playing Salem again in Sabrina Super Witch in 1977. And once again, didn't know these were a thing, but um, I guess we're going to have to look into that. Um, and he's also, the fun fact, uh, the voice that you hear before getting on uh, the Big Thunder Mountain ride at Disneyland. Yeah, he's the one who says, it's the wildest oh, ride in the okay, universe. I'll... Yeah! This guy was somebody who just a couple months ago came back from Disneyland, and I'm like, there was this voice. I was paying too much attention to convincing my five-year-old to get onto the roller coaster. Go like, it'll be right? fun. You'll have fun. Just trust me. <laughs> he did. He had fun. Don't worry. I didn't traumatize my child. He actually had a lot of fun. Oh, that's good. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's him, and I'm kind of in love. <laughs> I've got to put it up on our, our social media, but uh, there's a clip of of him just talking about how he recorded it in his uh, his own studio. And um, I, I believe he was here in Washington, but uh, he recorded that for uh, for Walt Disney and sent it over and they included it in the ride. It's still there. So yeah, check it out if you're in the area. Cool. But yes, please, let's go. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think spent the last half an hour, you know, kind of discussing the movie, going off on tangents, but <laughs> welcome to our podcast. <laughs> there will be tangents. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, one th- I wanted to kind of go from the beginning because that's kind of how I organized all my notes. It was basically me commenting on the movie. Um, in writing as I was watching this and the first thing I noticed was the uh, old guard um, who were going to defend the shores with their old uniforms and like half of them were carrying like old guns and the other one was carrying shovels like I I was seriously concerned for them because I'm like like, (laughs) if one of them had like one of those like um like uh cork guns I'd be like yep that that makes up the army (laughs) that's that makes sense (laughs) it checks out (laughs) Well, and Angela Lansbury said that, like, that was a real thing. And, of course, it was, like, you know, made to be more silly. In the yeah, movie, I know, because I'm like, but... if that was a thing and that's how they were organized, then I'm surprised at the uh, success. 
Because I mean, yes, it makes sense from a historical standpoint, but oh man, that I hope they were better organized than that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, can I just say that? Okay, her character's name is Eglantine. But um, I think for simplicity's sake, we should just call her Eglin's best. <laughs> Thank you. Because, like, the, the two adults' names, I'm only naming them two adults because, like, I could not pronounce their names throughout half of this. And I was like, no. <laughs> like, I, I spelled them wrong. And, yeah, it was, like, I actually Eglin's called best. her Miss Price because I at least could get her last name. I was like, okay, I got Miss Price. Yeah. And that's easy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard to remember and- a name like Eglantine. I know. Like, where the heck is... Or Eglantine? I wonder if it was supposed to be like or, Angeline or something, and they just really screwed it up in their, on their on her birth certificate. She's like, Eglantine's like, no, it should have been Angeline. It's like, nope, no, it's not anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it wouldn't be the first time that like Disney would kind of mess around with names. So. <laughs> um, and speaking of names, uh, there's the cat named Cosmic Creepus and I love that so much. I love that cat. Like throughout the entire movie, Me I was too. trying to pitch movies for the cat. <laughs> like to the point where I was like a buddy cop movie with the broom because the broom seemed to be sanctioned enough that it would have been like a odd couple buddy cop movie and I was like I want this now. <laughs> Cuz that cat was amazing. Yeah. It makes me want to watch the uh Cat from Outer Space again. <laughs> We can make a remake, but have Cosmic Creepus be the main character. Although I will say about the cat, like, I, like, I mean, it's supposed to be her familiar, and I'm assuming she's supposed to care for that cat, but that cat had mange. That cat looks so sad. I was like, oh, please, like, bathe it or give it some revolution or some advantage or something for its fleet, because that cat has some issues. Oh, and I know that they're just trying to make it look more menacing so he could uh, attack the kids when, like, or, like, what's his name? Charles Um, was the kid. I got the kids' Yeah, Charles when he's a bunny. Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, you know, that's that's obviously what they're doing there, but, like, come on, that poor cat, man. The fact that that Charles is even afraid of that cat, I was like, Charles, you are a little wuss, like, Grow a spine. Yeah, right. He's like, he's like really jumping cat, up dude. the stairs. <laughs> it's like, dude, it's all well, and that's like the whole reason he he travels with them because at first he's being a little a, a little a little uh, snot about how like um, it can't be magical. It's like, look, this bed is floating. It can't be magic. It's like, yeah. <laughs> like how much do you need, Charles? <laughs> I mean, and oh he, he even gets snotty after um, they travel. He's like, it didn't even take yes. us to the right location. I'm like, okay, you are an yeah. asshole, Charles. <laughs> he totally is. I think I called him a, um, in my notes, I called him a grundle punch. Because he is just being such a little jerk. It's like, it doesn't go to the right place. And I don't believe in magic. You just turned me into a rabbit, but you're not going to get this bed to go anywhere. I basically yeah. named all the kids. It's like, Charlie's the, or Charles is the dumb one. Paul's the adorable one. And Carrie's the reliable one. That's how I labeled them. I was like, okay. Yeah. Like, you know, That's Paul's adorable. Right. He'll be the cute ador- uh, portion of this show. And Carrie's the one who will have at least some common sense. Yeah, right hopefully <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's funny because like i there was one part where they go to portobello road 
and uh, the art dealer, art merchant, uh, raises his backhand to Charles like he's he's going to hit him for no apparent reason. Just like just this, you know, child abuser out on the street that's threatening children for no reason. I mean, reason. that entire but scene, then- I <laughs> it was kind of a weird thing to watch <laughs> as a parent and maybe just somebody like cares yeah. about kids because not only was there that, but at some point the kids just wander off and like, uh, like yes. tells about like uh, my kid's age. And I'm just like, like, do you know where these children are? They're just walking off, talking to strangers, right. dancing with them, like le- being led off by and the hand. I'm just like, stuff. wow, it's that was a really trusting street. <laughs> yes. Like, meanwhile, the, the little girl is like trying on all, like a bunch of jewelry and Charles is fucking up some guy's furniture that he's trying to sell. And, um, and Paul is, like, drawing a mustache on a bust that somebody else is trying to sell. Like, who is watching these kids? Nobody. She, I mean, <laughs> even in the beginning, she's basically like, I don't want children. And they're like, well, too bad. You have them now. And she's like, okay, I mean, okay, let's then. be fair. Let's blame the social worker at the very beginning for all this happening. Yes. Because if she had not just said, look, we just need somebody to take these kids. And you seem to be a woman, so here Mm -hmm. so you got this right (laughs) (laughs) but luckily for her or lucky for her she had the the sidecar to her motorcycle i know some people like how are they all gonna fit in that thing and they're bringing all this luggage i'm like um i know how big sidecars are and that seems a little excessive (laughs) it was like the harry potter sidecar though that's probably what it was it just expanded we just didn't get to see it Well, and a, a funny thing about that. Okay, so the it it like uh, expels this yellow smoke, uh, which apparently smells like sulfur. I even wrote down you thought the same thing I did, but I wrote down like, ah, oh, Andrew Lansbury contributing to greenhouse gases in 1940. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we have climate change. She started it. <laughs> Thanks, Dame Lansbury. <laughs> But that also got me wondering, with the smell of sulfur, is it possible that she's a demon? I mean, maybe it's not the motorcycle. Maybe it's her. Maybe she smells like sulfur. Well, I mean, depending on which uh, lore uh, of witches you're following, some of them are obviously supposed to be like brides of Satan, and others it's obviously more whimsical, like the Harry Potter. So maybe, maybe you might be onto something. She might be a bride of Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Dame Angel Lansbridge, right of Satan, coming this fall to TV. Like, maybe, maybe it wasn't like the star of Allegroth. Maybe it's it's really just like the the like a satanic emblem that she's looking for. And she's planning to sacrifice these children. That's why she was. That's why she didn't fight it too much. She's like, oh no, I can't take these children. Oh, and then when they disappear, it's like oh, I don't know where the children went. They ran away. You tried to give them to me, and I said no. They ran back to London. What can you do? They wanted to go find their parents. (laughs) I sent them home to their parents. Oh, God. (laughs) I went dark there just now. (laughs) And she talks about, like, how she doesn't have any fried food in the house. She just uses, uh, was it nettles and... Uh, she's like naming a bunch of ingredients that can be used in spells so and potions. So I'm thinking like, man, she probably ate these kids. She brings up like nightshade <laughs> into the ingredients list. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. 
she's like she's dear. it's like she's like the the extreme end of like psychotic healthy eating she's like i don't eat fried food i eat all of this garbage. <laughs> like somewhere in the middle it's okay to have somewhere in the middle <laughs> oh yes <laughs> she was marinating these children <laughs> Why does she keep pouring gravy on my head? <laughs> and that's why they were laughing so hard when uh, when uh, the Professor Brown got hit by the, the, the gravy. Because she's like, yeah, yes, part of my plan. <laughs> he will be a slow marinade. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that he was like probably the key ingredient to her spell or her uh, her potion or whatever. But uh, that brings me to my favorite line in the whole movie when Paul says, what's that got to do with my knob? I'm so happy you brought that up. I was like, I am 12. I just burst into laughing and had to pause the movie and take a second. My husband was wondering what was wrong with me. I'm just like, knob. Just start giggling again. He's like, he has a knob. I... I actually had I laughed out loud and had to explain to my husband. Like, um, no, I'm I'm about fifteen. So. I'm glad you give yourself a couple of years more on top of me. It actually matches our real age difference. In real life, I'm I'm a fifteen year old boy. So I want to ask everybody, like, hell, that should be our our uh, sign off. What's that got to do with my knob? really fast <laughs> no. oh no 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 not at all <laughs> i mean there's there's one other thing and this may just be me and especially after the knob comment i may have just been primed to see this but you know when they're flying on the bed and they're seeing like a flying technicolor london so you can see big ben you see all these bombs mm-hmm. and at one point there's like this really odd shape and i swear it looked like a dong and two balls i i, I was watching it i'm like i had to reverse it i'm like what the hell? Because everything, all oh the other my. shapes made sense. Like I could make out what they were, and this one was just like a random shape, but it seriously looked like a dong and like two balls. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I've got to go back and find yeah, it's it. the first time when they are first flying to London, and you're watching the Technicolor show, and it's like it's a very end, and you're like, what is that shape? So please confirm this with me because it's the one shape that doesn't actually make something recognizable in my mind and maybe at that time like i said maybe i was just primed to you know see knobs and dongs i don't know well you know uh the animators and like disney employees uh were like notoriously treated like crap so you know they would they would put things in there like uh in the lion king when you see sex in the clouds uh, stuff like that so i mean they were they were known to put things things in there as like a little fuck you to just well even that so. though i i mean i would actually argue with the whole lanking sex thing i saw sfx when i went back to rewatch it and i know that's a huge contested mm-hmm. debate i know that the one that's the most prominent um is the rescuers uh where there was like a naked lady oh, when they're yeah. flying through the city uh through the city i remember that was one that was talked about the most although to be fair as we were saying earlier there's some nudie in disney that i think most of us missed as kids in some of the movies <laughs> Go back and watch Fantasia, people. Yes. There's a lot of yes. topless women in there. More than I was expecting. 
topless women and uh, racist uh, minotaurs. Well, that's you know, centaurs, centaurs, but yes. Or yes. centaurs. But that one they cut me. out. <laughs> but if you do go online, you can catch the clip of that. You're like, oh, oh yeah, that's, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> like, oh, Disney. <laughs> oh, Disney in the 70s. <laughs> oh. 60s, 50s, sometimes current. Yes. Oh, yeah. Disney is special. Special. Oh, so um, as we're moving through London, and obviously they've met um, Emilius Brown, who is, as I said, a snake oil salesman. (laughs) (laughs) So he's trying to sell the little kid, like, um, some toy that's supposed to help him whistle. and. It's like, dude, this is a huckster. Like, who the fuck you <laughs> Yes, he conned a kid. But even then, it's like, he, he's penny. selling all these books that actually have practical magic use. It's like, what? What? I want right. to know more about this background story, because he clearly doesn't know what the hell he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, But somebody yeah. did, and she's learning from it from this guy. Because she's yes, a demon. Exactly. <laughs> he discovered the book of Satan that was actually written be- by Beelzebub. <laughs> well, it was, it was, was it written by Agar or Azeroth? I think. And doesn't that sound like a, a demon? Like a, like a, one of the lords of hell? Well, are you thinking of, are you, uh, well, are you thinking of Aleister Crowley, who was the founder of the Church of Satan? Or I, I want to make sure I, we're talking about the right people. Let's put it this way. There's a lot of um, history in Satanism and some of it's current and some of it's well, very outdated. So. Cause they, they have to find, um, cause the, the book is, it's, was it the book of Azeroth or Azeroth? Oh, okay. I see what you're talking book about. Book of Spells. Okay. And they, they end up looking for uh, the star of Azeroth, which has the words that they need for, for the spell that she wants to learn. And, you know, that's another thing I, I had in my notes. Uh, okay, so they go to the island of Mabumbu because that's where the star is, uh, Azeroth's star, that has the, the words for the spell. And um, so, so they go there and they decide to steal the star from the king, uh, King Leo, because he's got it, he wears it around his neck. I mean, to be fair, he and, it doesn't look like he was all going to give up anything. So, and and, and, and people's lives are depending on it, and he was being an a hole. Right. So, <laughs> I, I, I'm but, just playing well, devil's advocate I here with the devil. <laughs> <laughs> is like okay they don't have to steal it why don't they just write the fucking words down (laughs) why don't they just look at the star and say oh that's a really cool star you have there satis you know even then it doesn't even work like it turns out it's in like paul's book the whole time it's like wow that was a really unnecessary adventure if they just listened (laughs) to the small child They just stole a star from this king that they don't know. (laughs) Distracting him with a soccer in quotes game, which is probably one of my favorite things of the entire time is everybody calling it soccer. And then like Mm -hmm. uh, Charlie, the one person actually slips up and says, that's good football. And I'm like, oh, somebody (laughs) forgot to remind the British kid (laughs) that this is for American audiences. (laughs) Oops. And that's what I was thinking too. Is that well, but then I don't know. Like I, 
I guess it wasn't maybe it wasn't common knowledge at the time that that like here in America that they they call uh well they call it football as mm-hmm. it should be. I I'm and not I mean I wouldn't I don't know the history of um the usage of the term so but I don't know sports. <laughs> All I know is that football makes more sense. <laughs> you mean the sport football is played in America? Oh, you're talking about calling soccer football. Okay. I was going to say, like, I, wait, yes. which, which are we talking about? <laughs> which one makes more sense right now? <laughs> well, I, and it makes more sense to me than to, to call, I mean, to call what we know soccer football than to call what we know as football football because mm-hmm. like you're as i understand like once again i i know jack about about uh sports except for maybe roller derby and and hockey you know the violent you know on ice things and, like, well, i was gonna say roller derby is not on ice <laughs> <laughs> unless it's changed it recently <laughs> there might be some leagues that do that and that would be amazing <laughs> <laughs> but but to my understanding american football barely uses feet yes that is correct it does so... barely use feet it is uh very much hands <laughs> involved and a lot of yelling and cursing <laughs> yes <laughs> there's mm-hmm. that I, I don't watch it much but I, I i i do like it when violence ensues i i i I know. I was say, let's just be fair. You just like it when I yell at my phone because my team's not scoring the right amount of points. <laughs> <laughs> That's You're true. just like, oh, she's at it again. <laughs> oh, um, my cat is is growing bored of the the football talk. Oh, okay. Well, there is one thing that um, I just want to say because it, it, it's it's um i don't want to leave this behind and it's before they uh head to the island and it's when they go to um mr brown's squatting house that he's in the yes. one that it, it weirded yeah. me out was he goes ah this has been abandoned he indicates like this huge un you know this huge bomb that didn't explode <laughs> and he's like this is this yeah. is why it's condemned and i was like is this like Chekhov's bomb or something? Like I was, like, I was going, oh my right? god! Like they produce a bomb into this. This is what's going to happen. And it's like, nope, nope, didn't yeah. pay off. I was there was like small part. I was going like, oh, oh, oh big explosion. Because <laughs> I'm again, I'm yeah, 12. I thought like okay, but well, it, like in the the final scene, I was like a little disappointed that the the bomb didn't come up with the the little battle. I know, there. It, but I mean, it, they are in different locations. I thought that maybe they do battle in london and the bomb would come into play like she'd you know use her magic to i don't know animate it or have the you know right uh knighted soldiers like carry it off and like you know chuck it <laughs> I, don't, I mean to be fair oh <laughs> there's there's limited things you can do when it's sitting there on the ground except like run away in fear <laughs> but at the same time it felt like such a use i mean it, it, i guess it's like the only plot point that he can explain as to why that guy is you know squatting in that humongous mansion that is really well kept up if you think about it. I am totally imagining now like Disney animating a a bomb for a song and dance. <laughs> it's a song and dance uh, or a singing dancing bomb. Bonnie. I was thinking of blowing. <laughs> <laughs> because again, my age is just decreasing as I talk. <laughs> 
bomb. <laughs> oh, and no. all of his friends, the bomblets. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. <laughs> But yeah, this, I remember, uh, cause this is the first time I watched it as an adult. Um, but I, I remember being a kid, my parents never really put a filter on what me and my brother could watch. So I watched a lot of shit that I probably shouldn't have. And so the ending for this, um, scared me as a kid because it made me think of the army from army of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. The two but... very different movies with two very different levels yeah. of gore. <laughs> yeah. You see, I, I mean, it, it, and on the opposite, I just saw this a couple months ago, and all I'm thinking is, oh my god, this is the army from Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> like, if the entire <laughs> Nazi um, army was like this, no wonder why they lost. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, she's up there flying on a broom, and they're shooting at the... Uh, you know, empty night suits. I'm like, dude, th- there's a woman flying up there in a broom. Shoot her. And then it's done. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they do at some point start shooting at her, but they, they clearly have no aim. <laughs> so, yes. <yeah. laughs> Thankfully, Nazis can't aim. <laughs> there was also at one point where one of those incredibly polite, where, um, Miss Price is, um, arguing about trying to I, I can't remember what she's arguing about but she wants to like either get to her book and she's trying to get into the room and he goes madam sit down please or Fraulein, sit down please i'm like that's a really polite Nazi. <laughs> he said please i mean he could have just you know shot her <laughs> well what a gentleman <laughs> Oh, and the, and then uh, the, there were gentleman Nazis that uh, decided not to to shoot the, the bunny <laughs> when uh, Professor Brown turns himself to a bunny rabbit. <laughs> and he gets away, and they're both like, "Ah, oh, it's a bunny." <laughs> I mean, to be fair, why would you shoot a bunny at that point? I mean, that's, that's unless you're true. hungry. Why would you shoot a bunny? Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> I'm hey. assuming they were they are well fed at this moment. By the way, we're we're probably, we might jump all over the place, but a couple other things that didn't, I mean, my, as an adult now don't make sense to me is when they're underwater, obviously the first one is, why are they breathing? How are they breathing? (laughs) Which I was like, okay, which stuff? But then they talked to that fish who was smoking a cigar under the water. (laughs) I'm like, how does that, it's sort of like, um, in The Little Mermaid, um, it's this, uh, scene where... Uh, Sebastian's trying to take Ariel home and he says, come back with me and I'll fix you something nice and warm. And that broke my child brain. Cause I'm like, they're surrounded by water. Like I understood that as like a kid. I'm like, how do you keep it warm? Right. <laughs> so like same thing, the cigar being lit. And also I'm like, how I, I know it's a kid's way, but how <laughs> I guess I'm becoming Charlie as an old, as an older person. I'm just so like, <laughs> doesn't make logical sense <laughs> it didn't even take it to the right place <laughs> well i think that they for that fish they were trying to go with like a winston churchill mm-hmm. vibe but like i was thinking the same thing like what what the fuck <laughs> how's this working and then i thought okay well maybe i could say that they're in a bubble they're in a giant like little air bubble down there but then how is the fish smoking the cigar and how do they end up dancing like 
like floating dancing. But then once again, we're we're trying to bring logic into like a Disney kids movie. Yeah. So. It's almost just like, oh yeah, no, just enjoy the movie. It's okay. It doesn't have to all make logical sense. But it, did kind of, it does weird me out every time I see them. I'm like, ah, uh, no. Yeah, I had the same problem too, though. But uh, magic? Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, he had that cigar uh, before she got there. I, uh, yeah, I, who knows? A cigar is just a cigar. I guess we could just say cartoon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so going back to um, Mr. Brown turning into a bunny, did you also just think that when he jumped into Miss Price's lap, was, yes. Okay, I was like, yes. wow, that's a get a little fresh there, don't you think? <laughs> and oh my, is he gonna wake up on her lap <laughs> in that little bunny stance? <laughs> like, as a human, yeah. <laughs> like this is getting <laughs> a little spicy. <laughs> and then she gets all um, huffy because her her nightgown. It becomes animated and starts dancing mm-hmm. with them. Oh, yeah. it's like, dude, he, he just crawled into your lap. I think there's some other things to get huffy about besides like a, yeah, like right. a foot length <laughs> nightgown with long sleeves and button up to the neck <laughs> features. I was kind of hoping that when he he jumped into her lap that she would have like started petting him because then it would have taken it to a whole new level. Right there, Mrs. Price, right there. Yes. <laughs> Right behind the ear. You're no longer a bunny, Mr. Brown. I know, just right there, Miss Price. They're all one big happy family, and every Sunday he turns into a bunny. And thus the furry community was started. (laughs) Thank you, Dame Lansbury. become a furry podcast oh lord one comment does not make <laughs> us a furry podcast <laughs> <laughs> so i know you were talking earlier about how um she could have saved us uh, uh, a lot sooner or uh she could have also done a lot of damage it's i well this it's a mixed bag on it, it's the what if of history it's sort of like how some people tried to take the serious question of uh, what if you went back in time and say killed baby Hitler? Uh, we're not going to take that route because I don't want to get into a long historical conversation about that. But I will talk about what would have happened if she had actually joined the war instead of at the end. If you don't know, she decides to stop being a witch because being in the army is man's work and going to war is man's oh, yeah. work. So instead, Mr. Brown goes and off to the army. <laughs> it's like. Oh, there's so many more years of this war, though. <laughs> it's fair. <Yeah. laughs> there's certain there's certain countries that haven't even joined yet. But you know, you you got a couple of things here that if she had you know joined, um, this was obviously well before Japan bombed uh, Pearl Harbor. This was also before um, Japan signed on with uh, Nazi Germany and the. Uh, fascist Italy with Mussolini before they made the um, Axis powers and also before Germany um, began to attack and occupy Russia so it's like how many different things could she have prevented if she had just (laughs) been like I'll go take on Hitler as a witch. <laughs> I, got I mean, this. she clearly did. I mean, all she needed was like some old suits of armor, some really archaic weapons right? that probably should have, you know, disintegrated. 
and boomy. <laughs> oh, and, and boomy or blowy. Okay, I will blowy. fight for blowy and his dancing bomblets. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, Britain was also occupying or had taken mm. over India and. India didn't uh, gain its independence from Britain until 1947, so could have also caused the genocide of all of India. It's it's a give and take when I was looking into it. So at first I was like, wow, she could have just solved this war. You know, the U.S. may not have even gone involved. Japan may have realized that, you know, joining up with Germany um, and Italy was a lost cause because the British people had this witch on their hands. But at the same time, it's like, oh, they could have used that power, and they could have still been the conquerors of the world. <laughs> and I, was like, uh, I don't know which is worse right now. <laughs> it's all kind of icky. And this is a, that's always the great what-if questions of history, is what would have happened. And that's the, um, uh, the origin of the, the conspiracy of the Nazis collecting magical objects. <laughs> they get their own witch. History. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got England's best. <laughs> Can we also talk about the fact that she didn't join up, um, but also during the battle that uh, uh, home militia took all the credit? (laughs) I mean, Mr. Brown was already trying to take credit for her magical abilities, but then this, like, small little group of, like, men with, like, old guns and shovels just like, we beat them back! (laughs) It's like, what the fuck did you do? And, you know, like, I'm glad that you brought that up because the the whole time, like, Professor Brown is like, oh, you women, you're so unorganized and you're just going to, oh, typical, you'd forget the words. Well, like she's, like, literally organizing all these, like, soldiers, like, into a formation. Yes. I mean, granted, they seemed almost not killable, so. Yes, yeah. I mean, they would knock their helmets off and they'd still be able to, like, move, like, a foot. So it's like, okay. Yeah. I think all she needs is this army unless they find it and, like, melt it down into steel or something or some sort of metal. Well, he's, like, a failed con man. And, like, it's not very good Look, at Look, a grifter's it and, got and... a grift, and he's going to come with a grift. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, he keeps giving her shit for being a woman, and she's like, bitch, I just saved my life. <laughs> well, she was even like that at the very end of the movie. She's, like, kissing him goodbye as he's off to join the military. Yeah. Which... <laughs> To be fair, maybe that was like his version of I'm going out for a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> There's a war? Bye. I'm going to join the war. Let's do that. <laughs> Gotta go bye. <laughs> Don't eat those kids without me. <laughs> Daddy will see you later. <laughs> no, he was just getting out of there because he knew he was going to be part of the roast. <laughs> he was like, nope. Nope. <laughs> the kids will give me a head start. I've gotta join the forces. <laughs> I have a better yeah. chance of surviving than with you. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> shh, shh, stay here, children. You'll be safe here. <laughs> right? <laughs> Which, by the way, the kids kind of got ignored <laughs> after a bit of time. Oh, totally, totally. It's like the kids are trying to just along for the ride to make it more enjoyable for children. But after a while, I was like, wait, what, yes. was, what was their point? They didn't contribute to magic. Paul contributed his knob. Mm-hmm. That was about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Which, by the way, 
way. I'm, There's the name of our new band, Paul's Knob. I'm always amused because it's it's not the first time I've heard of like uh kids keeping like odds and ends in their pockets. It must have faded away as time went on and we had like video games and game boys and now you got the nintendo switch (laughs) but kids would carry like random crap in their pockets (laughs) like string they found some sticks a knob clearly because like a bed knob that they stole well because uh huck finn (laughs) uh, not huck finn uh tom sawyer even mentions giving a doorknob as a gift to the uh girl he likes <laughs> i remember that one scene and again as a 12 year old reading this i was like why the fuck would a kid give a girl a, knob, a doorknob it's like what a stupid guy like a brass doorknob or something i'm this is me and then you you turn into an adult and you're like oh he gave her his knob <laughs> yeah, yeah and that's where- <laughs> I am sorry, listeners. <laughs> this is what you're going to get. <laughs> this is our first episode. We have established what we are, and we're going to stick to it. And you can either get on the bus or get off. <laughs> I am aggressive. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Ben Knobs and Broomflex. Knobs. <laughs> Knobs. <laughs> so... Um, do, do you feel that we, we've covered it? I think we've got most of what the movie was about. Um, it is a movie that I think we both agree does not age well, um, from Mm -hmm. some of the, uh, more stereotypical characters. Like during that whole song and dance number, um, in the street, there was a couple characters I was like, uh, weren't you occupying India at this time? (laughs) This looks bad. (laughs) But then the portrayal is really bad. And I know it was Disney and it's, you know, it's not British, but at the same time it's like, oh, oh, this, this, no, 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 no. And also obviously it's, it's portrayal of, um, you know, women have their place. So it, it's again, one of those things that's not, it doesn't age perfectly well. It's charming. It was definitely probably more charming for mm-hmm. its time. But it's one of the things when you go back, especially when you watch it for the first time as an adult, as I did, I was like, oh, oh, Oh Disney, <laughs> it, there's there's some promise, yeah. but oh, there's some cringy yeah. parts. Yeah, and I didn't catch this as a, a child, but um, during the Portobello Road scene, I'm pretty sure there's some streetwalkers. Um, yes, some uh, excuse me, sex yes, workers. Yes, I think there was because he was like trying to charm <laughs> them up, and I'm like, yeah. hmm. some of them look a little underdressed, and I'm not judging them for that but at the time that probably wouldn't have been reflected (laughs) (laughs) and he uh like they they at the beginning of the song near the beginning of the song like two of them come up to him and like like i can't i really wish i remembered the line but they 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 come up to him like like they've seen him before they know him and he's just like eh, go away go away go away cool i'm trying it. to seduce this other woman <laughs> yeah. all this time she's trying to find the book like throughout the entire scene they're singing and dancing and she's going through all the books trying to find it and it's like it's like you are the most useless person on the face of the earth <laughs> and yet you're sitting here yelling at her <laughs> yeah right He's just like, check out all these people on Portobello Road. <laughs> She's like, yeah, that's nice. Where's the fucking book? I am trying <laughs> to save the world. Would you stop dancing <laughs> and help me find this goddamn book? <laughs> oh, 
and it has Roddy McDowell. I love Roddy McDowell, but um, he had third billing, although he's got like what, like maybe two lines in the in the end. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. It, he just remind. Yeah, he does. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, he was the the priest. It, yeah. Well, I think um, I remember reading that his part was supposed to be bigger. Like he was actually supposed to um try to be seducing Miss Price. Um, yes, to, and like, he catches. Um, I think he like tries to propose. To yeah, her. I, I think I, I think that it was actually to try to gain like her property. Like it wasn't uh it wasn't he wasn't a good person. But they completely cut that uh oh. scene and um all of the stuff about him trying to um you know marry her out of the movie. But I remember reading that because yeah, they mentioned like how he had like th- you know third billing, but had almost no part right. whatsoever well and that that makes like that adds context to the beginning where he's saying that he should come over and she's like well why the hell do you want to come over and he's like well i've, I've got to preach to the children also with that <laughs> uh depending on the kind of um minister of the lord <laughs> different connotations nowadays when you look back on it right <laughs> What denomination yes. of church? I'm assuming the Church of England, but... <laughs> <laughs> Whoopsie. And with that... Um... <laughs> no, I'm trying to cook these children. <laughs> Stop interfering. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> One thing that I always have an interest in is what happens to some of these... Uh, kids they hire as actors um, because the mystique or the downside to being a child actor or actress is it's not always works out for the best. Not everybody becomes Ron Howard. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of them unfortunately become others that I'm not going to name out loud, but I'm sure we all have one in mind right now. (laughs) But um, (laughs) some of them, at least in this case, uh, most of them didn't act again. Um, Ian uh, Waghill, who played Charlie, the oldest brother, uh, he's kind of disappeared. And not, like, in a bad way. The last... He just didn't want to do movies anymore. He... They... As far as I can uh, research and could find, he became a train conductor. Uh, Roy Snart, who played Paul, uh, he became an owner of an IT company. And uh, Cindy O'Callaghan, who played Carrie, uh, she actually tried to continue acting in 2001. She had a couple of parts here and there and then she retired and retrained as a child psychologist so most of them didn't actually continue with acting this was their one movie role or uh it may have just been something like a one-off and they tried it and decided not to continue there's a couple of other uh child actors i can think of who did the exact same thing the boy in uh the movie hook uh i think that was like one of his only movies and uh the girl who played Sarah Crew in the WB version of A Little Princess, uh, she also did like a couple of uh, parts, but after that she finished. Although in her case, I do know that she is like the heir to one of the hotel families. So she was, I mean, she was oh. always going to be fine, <laughs> but she's like, she was like, she was one of the heirs. There was like a huge um, argument over money in her family. It's a little side note that I was always curious about with child actors, but yeah, she was going to be one of the heirs to one of the major hotel fortunes. Not the Hilton one. I know that much, but <laughs> it was one of the major ones. So, yeah. Well, and there was uh, also 
uh, the the girl who played the childlike empress, I think she's um, she's like a teacher or a professor now. Yeah, and I mean, some clearly some child actors or actresses just kind of look at this and go, you know what, this is not for me. Others clearly love it yeah. and want to keep doing it, and others, you know, have the unfortunate sad story of the stage parents or the this is how we're supporting our families, <laughs> which is it's just where right. it gets obviously really sad. Again, we can think of a couple names that we're not going to say out loud because. I feel it's disrespectful, <laughs> but yeah. um, for the most part, like I said, these kids, it's, you know, two of them decided to quit. One kind of continued for a little bit, and now she's a child psychologist. They seem to all have pretty normal, out-of-the-spotlight lives. Yeah. Yay. As far as I know, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, for all I know, somebody's going to write in and be like, oh, no, the kid who played Charlie was found with a needle in his arm. I'd be like, holy <laughs> crap. <laughs> and then I start to well, cry. <laughs> <laughs> I can easily imagine him being like the the Draco Malfoy of his time. Like his he didn't exactly have the most likable character in this movie. Well, and you didn't get a lot of chance to really build his character. Like I said, once you get to um yeah. the undersea world, it's the kids kind of become uh you know, scenes almost like they just kind of exist in the right. backdrop almost it's like oh yeah the kids are still here yeah they just happen to yeah. be there but they really didn't play t- they didn't feel like they played too much of a role that could have easily been filled in other capacities <laughs> i'll agree with that yeah so i guess uh i should say please 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 help us out uh help us be found by other listeners and uh, get more downloads by listening, subscribing, rating, and reviewing Bedknobs and Broom Flicks on Apple Podcasts, uh, Podchaser, and uh, just about all other podcast platforms, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. That really, really helps us. And uh, tell your friends about us, uh, please. Uh, remember, you could find Bedknobs and Broom Flicks on Facebook and on Twitter at, at Broom Flicks. And you can write to us at broomflicks at gmail.com. That's B-R-O-O-M-F-L-I-C-K-S at gmail.com. And uh, I'd like to give a quick shout out to Kristen from CoffinCast and Rick from Toys Were Us podcast. Both amazing podcasts, uh, amazing shows, and amazing people. They've uh, been very supportive and helping us out with this, uh, this show, getting it off the ground. You can find me on uh, the weekly podcast, Cage's Kiss, the ultimate cage cast with my brother, Donnie, and my my uh, best friend, Adrian. Uh, Jane, where can people find you? <laughs> you can find me lurking in the woods <laughs> and dragging my small <laughs> child around the city um, in which we live in. <laughs> <laughs> and t- giggling and telling people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's what I'll whisper into your ear before you go to bed. Nob. <laughs> Nob. <laughs> the ASMR fans. Nob. What's that got to do with my knob? Um, I'd like to to thank Doug Walters and Redwire Blackwire for allowing us to use their song Compass. Uh, you should definitely check out their music and the music from Doug's new band Oddness. That's O D D N E S S E amazing band uh amazing music definitely check them out and uh yeah yeah. and uh you'll hear from us again in two weeks when we cover hocus pocus that's actually one of my favorite movies 
And next week, uh, Linda will cover our first Witches Familiar as a bonus. Yeah! Pets! <laughs> and uh, maybe we'll get a little history in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, thank you. And until then, what's that got to do with my knob? <laughs> <laughs> Ha 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 ha!